Good morning, good evening, good afternoon everyone and welcome. Whichever time zone you're joining us from or whatever time of the day you're listening in, thank you once again for taking the time to tune into our podcast. Following on from our previous episode about domestic employers needing to register under COIDA, today we're going to be discussing three items. These are the COID Act and the submission deadline relating to the return of earnings. We will also be chatting about the new UIFE compliance certificate. And then finally, the Occupational Health and Safety Bill. COID, which stands for Compensation for Occupational Injuries and Diseases, it's still referred to by many people as workman's compensation. And I think we're giving away our ages when we use the term workman's compensation because the WC Act was replaced by the COID Act in 1993, which is a very long time ago. COID pays compensation to employees who are injured in the course and scope of their employment or if they contract a disease as a result of their employment. It also pays for reasonable medical expenses in relation to these injuries or diseases. Where those injuries or diseases result in the employee passing away, compensation is also paid through the fund to their dependents. In terms of registration, all employers who employ one or more part-time or full-time employees are required to register with the compensation fund and to pay annual contributions. This obligation now, as we heard in our previous episode, also includes domestic employers that is, employers of domestic workers. An exception in terms of the registration is for employers in mining, iron, steel or metal and related industries. They need to register with the Rand Mutual Assurance Company or RMA, which has been licensed by the Minister of Labour to perform the same duties as the Compensation Fund and covers employers and employees in those specific industries. The contributions that are payable to the fund are annual contributions, so paid once a year, and they are a cost to the employer only, not to the employee, as with the unemployment insurance, where the employer pays 1% and the employee also pays a 1% contribution every month. The return of earnings needs to be submitted to the compensation fund or the Rand Mutual Association via the online system. An assessment is then undertaken by the fund or RMA and the result of that assessment together with an invoice for the contribution is then sent to the employer and the employer is then required to pay that invoice usually by the end of April every year. But this year the submission deadline has been extended to the 31st of May. The system is currently closed due to the fund's financial year end processes and will be opening up on the 1st of April again for a two-month period. Employers are required to keep records of the earnings of their employees and other particulars relating to their employees and the business for a period of four years after the last entry in those records. In terms of reporting accidents and diseases, Employers must report to the Compensation Fund or RMA within seven days of being notified about the accident or within 14 days of being notified of the disease being diagnosed. 
reporting of accidents and the submission of claims can be done electronically on the Compensation Fund's CompEasy system or manually, but turnaround time will be a lot faster if it's done electronically. The RMA also has an electronic system to manage claims. Let's talk a little bit about the UIFE compliance certificates. Up until the 1st of February this year, compliance certificates needed to be applied for manually and then were forwarded by the Unemployment Insurance Fund to employers. From the 1st of February, a new e-compliance certificate portal has opened up on the Department of Labor's website and now makes it extremely easy to request such a certificate. These certificates are usually required for government tender applications and may also be requested in other circumstances. In a recent case we assisted with, the Compensation Fund had requested the certificate from the employer when the employer had submitted some changes to some of their business details with the Compensation Fund. What happened, however, was this employer had changed its business name many years ago and had not updated this name change on the UIF system. As a result, they obtained this new e-compliance certificate very, very quickly, but it was issued in the old name of the business, which was not the name that the compensation fund had on their register, so therefore the compensation fund wouldn't accept this e-certificate. I think this case highlights the importance of ensuring that all your business changes are updated timeously with all the relevant authorities such as SARS, the UIF, the Compensation Fund, etc. Because one never knows when there's going to be a need for some or other document and if it contains the incorrect information, it can become quite a challenge to amend those details. Requesting this e-compliance certificate on the UIF portal is also very useful if you would like to check if you are UIF compliant because it will only be issued if you are compliant and if you're not compliant you will receive a report with the reasons for your non-compliance as an employer and that will enable you then to remedy these issues. To apply for the certificate you need to access the Department of Employment and Labour's website at uifcompliance.labor.gov.za or if you go to labor.gov.za and click on the online services link, you will find a further link to the e-compliance certificate. We will also post this information in the next few days on our website in case you didn't note that website address. If you are compliant, the response time is literally within minutes rather than a number of days if you had have applied through the previous manual process. The Occupational Health and Safety Bill is a very interesting development. The current version of the OSH Act is dated 1996, so the Act itself has not been amended for almost 25 years, although the various regulations have been updated over the years. The Act itself has remained at that version and is now very much out of line with international trends and current workplace practices and conditions. A lot has changed in South African workplaces and internationally in the last 20-25 years. Earlier this month, 
the cabinet gave the green light for this bill to be published for public comment, usually for a period of 90 days. The bill has not yet been published, but once it's available, we will share further information about its contents. The bill intends to strengthen worker safety measures and further the department's initiative of zero harm. The bill also contains a new provision which will allow employees to stop work should they feel that the environment is unsafe. In such instances, they'll be protected from victimization by their employers if they stop work. I'm sure, though, that there are various conditions and requirements that need to be met before employees can down tools. Those are our three main topics for discussion today. But just a last interesting news snippet. In a recent gazette that dealt with the designation of essential services, amongst others, the following two services were designated as essential. Firstly, security services securing water utilities and pump stations, that's water pump stations. Hopefully this will prevent the damage and theft at such installations when there are strikes in the security industry which leave premises unprotected and the theft of the water equipment or components often leaves vulnerable communities without running water for many weeks. The other service that has been designated essential is laundry services in privately owned old age homes. This will also be welcomed because once again any strike action in this area would seriously affect another very vulnerable group in our communities. Being designated essential means that the staff providing these services are prohibited in all circumstances from striking or engaging in any other industrial action. Their right to strike is replaced by compulsory arbitration if they have a workplace dispute with their employer. Well, folks, once again, we've come to the end of our time and we trust that you enjoyed listening today. Please note that the information that we share in these podcast episodes is for general information only and is not intended to be legal advice. Each business or person will have different needs and circumstances and if you need professional advice or assistance with any matter, please contact us for a consultation. We cannot accept responsibility for any action that you might take on the basis of the information that we share in any episode. After that rather somber note, our next podcast will focus on a very topical issue, that of ARTO, which is the Driver and Vehicle Demerit System due to be implemented nationally in the coming months. And that will be a very interesting discussion indeed. Until we meet again, goodbye and take care.